This is the Negotiate X Podcast, show number 40, part A. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hey everyone, Nolan here. I'm the co-founder of NegotiateX. With me today is my good friend, Aram Denisian. Aram is also the co-founder of NegotiateX. But more importantly, we have Gary Ortiz from Sonos. Aram, I'll kick it over to you to introduce Gary. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Nolan. So folks, we're, we're blessed to be joined today by uh, Mr. Gary Ortiz, Global Sourcing Manager at Sonos, where he develops and manages supplier relationships, executes sourcing strategies, and balances business needs with building strong alignments with various engineering teams. Prior to joining Sonos, he was the Director of Engineering for Hayward Industries Pool Products Division, which, by the way, I believe I have both a pump and a heater from Hayward. There he served as the Principal Expert on Engineering, Technical, and Service Matters, Business Development Needs, Supporting Customers, and Day-to-Day Plant Operations. Uh, He led a cross-functional team of 25 people with an expense budget in excess of $19 million. By the way, those Hayward products continue to work very well. Uh, So so good Good deal. Thanks, Gary. Gary has an MBA from Wake Forest University, a Bachelor of Science in Electronic Engineering Technology. And I'll add that he has generously given of his time in many ways over the years, from Little League boards to Big Brothers, Big Sisters. And I would also add that he's mentored uh, a group of my MBA students a a couple of years ago on a negotiation consulting project. They truly loved learning from you, Gary. And it's really exciting for me to say thank you and welcome to our program today. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for having me. And it's a great pleasure. I look forward to our discussion. So Gary, for our listeners who aren't familiar with Sonos, can you tell them a little bit about what your company does? Sonos is a high-end audio company. Uh, What's special about Sonos is all of our speakers are wireless. So you have seamless wireless speakers throughout your home. Uh, You can enjoy room-to-room listening seamlessly. They are powered. Uh, so you get high high fidelity sound out of these amazing uh, home theater and portable speakers now. So we, we've recently got into some portable speakers you can take to the beach, put on your boat, uh, waterproof, weatherproof, uh, all that. So really, really great company. Awesome. Thanks, Gary. Now, I just kind of wanted to kick off the conversation here by talking a little bit about how you got into negotiation, both personally and professionally, and have there been any key milestones in your development as a negotiator? You know, yes. I'll start off, I think, where I sit today, you look back, and I will tell you that I think we all start negotiating as children. If you think about it, children are some of the best negotiators in the world. Who, who wants to, you know, when you're tired at the end of the day, they know every button to push every. <laughs> so I was that kid, right? I, advance a little forward. I was also that kid who was negotiating 
various punishments for my brother and I, you know, it was like, <laughs> uh, and so my, you know, my parents confused me with an attorney said, he doesn't need an attorney. So, no, 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 hold on. So that was, that was me. I was the older brother and we were the thickest thieves at times. So that, that was uh, my thing. So, but uh, I will say professionally, I think just over the years, you know, little by little, I found that I enjoyed it. Uh, I think again, starting personally, it was, it was really carbine. A lot of people hate that. I love it. it. But meeting people, there's one person in particular that I would credit for my professional development or startup, I should say, uh, John Barbieri. He was, he was a salesman with uh, Thermophil, Asahi Thermophil. And he was just an amazing guy and he had a lot of patience and he and I developed an amazing relationship uh, and he was the one who taught me relationship is key, honesty, integrity, trust, and building that was, was so important. And it was amazing how well he did it. And I just, you know, we worked together for many years. He made it, made me understand that our relationship was, was always above board and it was always beneficial to his organization and mine. And he, he, yeah, he taught me so much and, and inspired me to learn so much more to the point where his company, uh, brought us up and at his retirement day and we surprised him a couple of us that yeah. uh it, it was it was a really he's he is still a great guy I talk to him every once in a while he's, he's, he's great he's retired but he's the one who's given me the most that kind of kickstart early in my life well, that's a great great tribute but also got a great point right i think it's get lost sometimes the importance of uh relationship in our in these sorts of negotiations so you kind of, I guess, maybe building him off that relationship piece in your current role as a global sourcing manager there at Sonos, how is it that you're using or utilizing negotiation skills daily dealing with both internal and external stakeholders? Yeah. So part of our job as we try to find the strategic relationships, right? We're dealing a lot with very technical teams and being an engineer myself, I can appreciate that, you know, when you have something and you have trust in it, a, a widget, a, some sort of silicon part, they're rewarded for going quickly and efficiently, but, you know, making sure obviously their designs are very robust. So they get comfortable with products, companies, etc. One of the things that I find myself doing is negotiating with them, that trying to get them to change their mind a bit or open their mind more than anything with regards to other products or services or value adds that some of our suppliers have. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes difficult, but that, that is step one, right? They earning their trust, earning their confidence is, is really key. So, so you find yourself doing that. I think when I came to Sonos, one of the biggest challenges is we were just the sourcing, purchasing people. And, you know, we do everything, but that right yeah. and so i would say that's that's some of the main stuff internally and then externally we're we're constantly and you can imagine and i'm sure we'll get into that later just the way in three years three and a half years that i've been here how the pandemic has really affected yeah. our negotiating and what we've had to do so we're, we're constantly negotiating and working both internally and externally to to balance those things. And it's, it's, I've learned a lot. I really have. It's, it's amazing and still have a lot to learn. Yeah. We'll get more into that external, especially with the last couple of years of the pandemic, just, just a moment, you know, that was a little bit of a setup question because 
I, I feel like so often people forget about the internal negotiations that have to occur. You started answering by talking about kind of the internal alignment that you do. Is that, I mean, from, from where you sit, are those internal negotiations sometimes more difficult than the external or are they just different? They can be more difficult, right? Because you, you have a, a group of people who kind of set or have a strong foundation I say I'm an engineer, but I am nowhere near the capabilities that, right. you know, some of these folks are. So you take that with a grain of respect. So, you know, you have to earn, you know, their respect. You have to, you have to be able to understand how to influence them, right? Something that we've had to do, I've had to do is there, there'll be pockets of things that you just can't, they're, they're immovable. And I think one of the things negotiations have taught me is, you know, helping to increase your areas of influence. So if I can't, let me see if I can get some further support and and work the the angles that way. And so when it's not just coming from me and it's coming from other groups or other functions, it seems to help. And so it can be harder, especially for newer. You know, when you're newer, it becomes, uh, I think, a lot of work. But it, it, it's what we all say, right? Your respect and trust is earned. And, you know, as long as you bring in evidence-based positions, yeah, I think that's that's really key and critical. Yeah, I think that's awesome, Gary. And so I just want to kind of dive into this just a little bit more because a lot of the times, you know, a lot of our clients have difficulty understanding how to really build that trust and those relationships. And that's obviously very key to negotiation. So I was hoping to get a little bit more specific here on how, you know, you're you're meeting a new supplier, a new distributor, anything like that. How do you really work? to build that trust? I mean, are you able to do it in just one meeting? You know, what are some key takeaways that we can give to our audience on, on how to be successful in building those relationships? Transparency, honesty, or I, you know, if you had two words that I would give you, I would, I would say that. One of the biggest successes to a trusting relationship is that transparency, that respect and honesty. And, you know, it's business. So, what I tell everybody is, you know, I'm always going to be honest with you. You may not like what I have to tell you. Hey, we didn't, you, you didn't win the business or we're cutting the program out, right? Uh, you're not going to get as much share, but you can always count on it being honest, right? And, and being truthful. And that's all I expect, you know, back. And I think, you know, a round or two of that and they see, you know, your word is true and a lot of great things come out of that. In addition to, you didn't win or, you know, you didn't get a socket or something like that. Why? Be very clear with them, you know, and I think people appreciate that. And above all of it, treat everyone with respect. These are not transactional things. This is not a I win, you lose conversation ever. These are definitely more distributive type discussions and conversations where we're, we're definitely, you know, it's a give or take. Remember, I, I tell people, I, I'm always weary of the toes I step on or crush because it could be needing that person uh, here pretty soon. So yeah, it's those are some of the things that I definitely focus on in, in relationships. Yeah, I think that's so helpful because I, I think sometimes people feel that if you work on the relationship and you're transparent, you, somehow you're giving something up. We will often talk to people about there's actually tangible value to be gained when you can operate in an environment of trust and transparency and honesty. And I'm guessing that's something you've experienced. 
Absolutely. You know, and, and to a point where some people will tell you something that they were told not to tell you. And my rule here is, look, I will never reveal a source. I will never reveal. But if and and back to that internal piece, if I look at my boss and I say, look, it's not going to happen. Can't tell you why, but I'm going to tell you it's not going to happen. They know now not to ask. Right. And it's they know it's it's not my opinion. I have something, you know, that is worthy. It came up recently. There was a, um, a failed start of front end process for some uh, silicon. Right. And they there was a miss. Somebody forget forgot or didn't do their job to get it started. Well, we that's a lengthy process. It doesn't start on time. Right. It doesn't come through. Well, they didn't want to admit to their mistake at the higher level. Our guy said it didn't happen. And you didn't hear from me, but it didn't happen. And of course, I will never say anything. And right. But what it's what's so critical is when I'm sitting in front of the executive team and they're looking for me to give them the confidence that we are either going to get something or we're not going to get a part. Look, I can tell them with certainty we're not going to get it. Right. Yeah. And so we're not going to play this game and go back and forth. And we're going to keep our relationship above board. We're going to keep it. Uh, but I don't have to tell them all the other details, how I found out or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, then we move on, right? Because that's business. And and yeah. otherwise, you know, he's stringing me along and and it's just that slippery slope into terribleness. And, and that's right. that's not a relationship. And I think something that you said there was really important because, you know, for our listeners, what Gary just talked about was managing internal stakeholders. And so being able to paint that picture to your bosses so that they they have trust with you so that you can get that that authority that you need to move forward in the negotiation. So thanks for bringing that up, Gary. I appreciate it. You know, Gary, a, a few moments ago, you alluded to just the, the challenges of the past several years, the pandemic, a lot of different stressors occurring right now on the on supply chain. What are some of the biggest changes, challenges, even opportunities with negotiations that you're a part of? Both, I guess, two-part question here in terms of how they're conducted, maybe the process of the negotiation and also kind of the, what they're about, maybe, maybe more around substance and, and terms. Yeah. How they're conducted, zoom, email chats, that kind of stuff. So it's taken a lot of the, that personal touch, you know, we do a lot of communicating with our bodies and, you know, you can always, tell by posture by certain you know how how painful some of these things are or are not but at the same time i think and i'm going to jump to the second part of the question here yeah. is we're negotiating for different things right now where before your number one priority was you know dollar per widget or cost 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 and yeah. immediate you know, cost but now we're we're really focusing on uh, linearity of supply or st right. you know, supply continuity is trumping the the cost. And I think it's not that cost isn't part of the conversation. It's just cost is, hey, in time, we're going to get the cost out. So, you you know, we're looking a year or two years out, right? It, it, whatever comfort. And, and again, not holding, you know, them to, to, an absolute number, but, you know, getting ranges. And while, again, I, I don't mean to come across or sound as if we're not being fiscally responsible. I mean, uh, of course, cost is important, yeah. but I will tell you, I have heard it from various suppliers that our style of negotiating during this pandemic, where there were 
second order and third order events happening to the supply chain our style was was much more preferred they they you know no yelling and screaming and just i want every penny because you know what a good partner is going to come back to you with that when the time is right mm. but you know right now i can lean in our products are we have high demand people love our product and and so therefore hey let's let's give me good supply and we'll get to the, the cost again we'll revisit that shortly thank you Gary, something that's pretty important, something that Aaron and I definitely harp on and has been, basically been a trend throughout you know, our military profession and then as we transition to helping other clients in negotiations, and that is how important preparation is, how important preparing for negotiation is, and, and for you specifically, how important preparing your team for any of the probably tens, twenty negotiations that probably happen in a week underneath you at different levels for different specific things. So kind of two-part question here is how do you personally deal with negotiations? I imagine it's at a bigger level or prepare for negotiations. And then how do you prepare your team or, you know, that, that relationship with you as the manager um, in the negotiations preparation process? Yeah. You know, it's interesting that that is an area that we definitely are striving to improve. And I think what I learned during my, my MBA and, and going through formal negotiation classes is that preparation is very critical. Preparation of who's in the room, the role that those people are playing, the style, the format, it, it all is critical, right? What reminded me of this was when I was mentoring uh, one of our ROMs classes and, and, and they brought me back to, you know, the BATNAs and the the formalized <laughs> process. And it's really a great process. So I tell you this because in the professional space, oftentimes in this segment, I think people think they, they're the greatest negotiators, you know, I, I included in that. But we're always better when we throw these ideas at each other before the negotiation, angling or finding, you know, the different ideas. And I will tell you, it's an area that we are improving on as, as a group. It's, it's bouncing these things off each other before going in, ensuring that we give our leaders their roles in, in the negotiation. Because let's face it, we're in the trenches. We're there working. We understand the, the ins and outs of the various markets, the segments, the political, geopolitical risks or things that we've been able to glean, our contacts, right? Because we've been working this with our sales channels. And then making sure that our, our leaders are prepared to, to ask certain questions and prepare for a different. So we're getting better at it, but I will tell you, it's, it's an area that I think most companies don't do. When I, I interview folks and I ask people, you know, what was your approach on this? And they're like, well, I just did my research. I did this, my did this, you know, and, and they went into the negotiation. So well, did you dry run it with anybody? Did you, did you try that? And no. You know, everybody's so busy. But I will tell you, you might be busy, but it's worth that dry run. And and so I will tell you, we're improving on that. And it's something that prior to my MBA and, and then even after working with your team, around, I, it, it's not something that was natural, but it, it really is beneficial. And it's an area that I think we're getting better at doing more of. I think the other challenge that you have sometimes is teams nowadays are all over the world. I mean, a lot of our team was in right. Asia. 
So think of cultural differences too. I mean, that, that's been another challenge that you get into some of these larger negotiations and culturally, they just go at it differently. And, and in those cases, the distance and the pandemic of not being in the same room really had, you know, some challenges. So I think that was a long-winded answer, but it, it's definitely critical to prepare. It is absolutely critical to be prepared and your teammates, great place to prepare. I think that's pretty funny that you said that, Gary, because Aram has always said that what we typically find is uh, as people generally prep from the movement of this meeting to the next. And so in New York City, as you're going down your building to the next building, that may just be a block and a half worth of prep time before you actually get to that next meeting. Or if you're lucky, maybe it's a long flight to Tokyo. So <laughs> that's usually the amount of time that anyone devotes towards that negotiation prep and no, and I no think one stole my line i was gonna say the same thing <laughs> <laughs> yes finally <laughs> and i was gonna and to i was predict. gonna say i'm so proud of my students i gotta have to go back to that group and say hey, good good on them i yeah. also yeah you know gary i think that's a, i mean to what nolan is saying it's humble of you to say that because i think all of us if we're honest we all could do more preparation obviously you could prepare and never stop preparing. That's not going to be productive either. But what you're saying is, hey, that's a place where we all can get a little better. And it's really beneficial because, because there is a tendency for us to think, I've done this a thousand times. I can walk in and, and just with me in the room, I'm, I'm good enough. And that's not always true, especially as you're talking about kind of these cross-cultural negotiations yeah. and how there's some you know significant nuanced differences that we need to be aware of. So for sure, for sure. Yeah, appreciate that very much. All right. So I want to dig into interest. You've, you've talked quite a bit about interest, how interests have shifted because of the pandemic a little bit, where priority of interest may be, certainly the interest of relationship. We often hear from tech clients that their interest in negotiation range from a number of things, being able to achieve different metrics around margins. You've talked about that increasing market share, expanding into other product lines, different product or tool development, quality, meeting important specs, supplier customer responsiveness and satisfaction, flexibility from a supplier to adapt or respond quickly to different technology advances. Uh, sometimes that requires you know reconfigurations and redesigns with, with their setup. And then obviously, and you've talked about this, you know, the importance of continual supply, managing risk exposure, cash flow, predictability, those things. What other interests are important to the negotiations you're part of? And then I think maybe more importantly, as you look at maybe those external negotiations with suppliers, what things are different or similar? Where is their alignment maybe between interests that you and your suppliers have? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the ones that you listed is very important. So the flexibility to adapt and respond to new technology advances. So you could appreciate that taking a piece of silicon, a yeah. radio or a CPU, right, and putting it in your product, it is not as simple as, you know, taking it out of a tray or pulling it off a reel and soldering it down on a board and plugging it in and it works. There's an amazing amount of integration that has to occur development of software, drivers, firmware, right? Some of that has to come from your supply base. So so the relationship that you're developing, when you pick something like that, you're going to be locked in for a while. So one of the things that's really important is what does their roadmap look like? What, what does their future product look like? 
And that's got two purposes. One, we like to stay sometimes on the bleeding edge of technology. Sometimes we're on the cutting edge of technology. And then most importantly, we want reuse out of that effort. So oftentimes, you know, we put this effort into this CPU. We put this effort into this radio implementation. You have a deep relationship. All of a sudden, the Wi-Fi standard changes or the Bluetooth standard changes or some other standard changes. And you know all of us, we, we're techies, right? We, I want the latest and greatest. You can't come out with the next speaker and all of a sudden it'd be the old radio standard. So what does their journey look like? What are they keeping an eye on? When are they switching over? Uh, how much of the product that I'm in now and the, the, the software firmware that I'm doing now is portable to the next one? Because that's how you sell the engineers, right? The engineers are like, well, great. I can, I can reuse this whole chunk of software in the new one. And I'm now I'm just talking about a couple drivers or a couple small pieces. Great. You know, they get excited. So, so you're selling not only, you know, internally that the value that they're about to put in and the effort that they're about to do, and we're talking thousands and thousands of hours of people's time to get this thing up and running, right? Security, all these things that most of us don't think about. They want that assurance that I could do this once, and I get two benefits from it, right? So that's really important. And then for me, it's okay, well, you start looking at the cost curves. You start looking at, all right, well, if this is coming out, then times are going to start to push you. And you start taking advantage of, okay, well, where's that inflection point or where are those things? So that's on the business side, you start looking at some of those aspects. I think it's two-pronged, but equally as important, right? The, the tech team, the engineers, they want to know that what they're putting in is going to have a life and how much of that life can be continue to reuse. And then for us, where would we see potential breaks or changes in costs that we can count on? And so I think those are our biggest area. Of, of course, you always do the, you know, how risky is the supplier? Where is their foundry? Who are they going to be putting this technology with? I mean, those those are things that I think we've put maybe additional They've always been there, but I think we've put, I think, a higher level of scrutiny to them or, you know, as, as we do a Pareto of what, what are we looking at? We, we want to look at what is critical. That does come up now more often than it did before. As you think, I was going to, the alignment of Sonos interest that you were laying out and then the external interests of your suppliers, you find overlap and you're like, either, you know, there's differences, but they're not opposed or actually there's tremendous alignment between the interests and i was thinking about the you know the repurpose or the reuse of of things yeah yeah so anyways that's a good one because there is a lot of overlap you think about it because just like our technical teams are looking to get reuse the supplier right is is looking to you know continue a strong line of supporting different Sonos products, right? So they can say they have their name or their brand in this product and this upcoming one. And, you know, I think it's beneficial to them as well to, to know that. And, and uh, so there are other areas, I think that it's, it's competing interest because just as we pay, put thousands of hours in with certain product types, they're doing the same, right? I mean, yeah. They, they ultimately own the circuitry and the and the software firmware that's running inside their, their chip. There's always bugs. There's always things. We're finding things. We're trying to challenge it. And it is so beneficial to them 
and us to keep our teams very close and linked. And right. as their products evolve, we evolve as we, you know, and, and it's a definitely two way street we have. So they want to be in there as much as we kind of want them there because it, it makes things more fluid, easier to transition through. And again, not for all product categories, but you talk about CPUs and radios. Those, those implementations are a heavy haul for everybody. Hey everyone, Nolan here. I need to jump in and stop this great discussion. Join us next week as we wrap up this discussion with Gary on the NegotiateX podcast. Thanks for listening. If you could please like and subscribe to the podcast, we'd greatly appreciate it. Leave any reviews, any feedback is greatly appreciated. Thanks. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to NegotiateX Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.